On behalf of the Episcopal Diocese of Maine, welcome to this eight-episode series, Seeking the Gift of Hope. Our guest is Father Martin Smith. Martin is well-known throughout the Episcopal Church and beyond as a spiritual director, a retreat and workshop leader, and an author whose books exploring contemporary spirituality have gained a wide readership. His books include A Season for the Spirit, The Word is Very Near You, Love Set Free, Compass and Stars, and Reconciliation. We hope that you will find each episode in this series thought-provoking in this time of uncertainty and a stimulus to prayer and conversation. Share this podcast with your friends and your faith community and explore with them different facets of hope as a gift of God, the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the third in our series, Seeking the Gift of Hope. Today's theme is Hope and the Resurrection of Jesus. It focuses on a key issue about hope. Hope is no mere boost to our ability to keep on crossing our fingers. Hope is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and we can't grasp what it means except by asking the fundamental question about God's identity and character. What is it about God that arouses hopefulness? And the Christian Gospel focuses that question on a particular event, the raising of the crucified Jesus from the dead. For us, hope is not an abstract virtue, it is an awakening aroused by the good news of the resurrection. The writer of the letter to the Ephesians quotes an early hymn, Sleeper, wake up and get up from among the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Chapter 5, verse 14. Hope is aroused by what God did by raising the dead Jesus to new life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 It's worth emphasising that the resurrection is by definition something that only God could do and that God chose to do as it quotes from an early Christian proclamation in Acts 2.24, but God raised him up, having freed him from death. There is nothing natural about it at all. Resurrection refers to the innovative belief that had grown up in the previous two centuries among certain, but not all Jews, that the destiny of mortal human beings was not to pass away at death into the shadowy underworld far out of God's reach. Rather, when human beings die, God was going to hold them in life in readiness for an ultimate eventual act of new creation in which God would give them a new embodiment enabling them to share God's eternal glory and bliss together. Jesus' disciples proclaimed a few days after he had been framed, 
tortured, executed and buried. That God had chosen to raise him to life in this new form of glorious embodiment in advance, so to speak. Such a transformation and glorification of a dead man within the here and now of history was utterly unanticipated, unimaginable, unprecedented, totally surprising and profoundly mysterious. Apparently Jesus was alive in the new glorious body, yet this body was somehow continuous with the mutilated cadaver that they had buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was now empty. Only God could have done this. So by choosing to do this, and choosing to do this specifically in and for Jesus, God had revealed God's own character. The resurrection is a creative act by the Creator that designates Jesus as the true representative and embodiment of God's own character and heart. Jesus is revealed in the resurrection as the bearer of God's ID. Here we need to be honest about the way the resurrection has been misrepresented as a kind of triumphant reversal that cancels the disastrous failure of Jesus' mission and his terrible death. A great mid-20th century Anglican theologian Donald MacKinnon reminded us of the way in which in the popular understanding of the resurrection had been deformed through its representation as, in effect, a descent from the cross, given greater dramatic effect by a 36-hour postponement. Perhaps we are familiar with another kind of distortion, through hymns that blur together Easter and Spring, as if Jesus' resurrection was equally a sure thing as the inevitable return of the warmth, the leaves and the flowers in the Northern Hemisphere. Now what is so striking in the stories of the resurrection appearances is the insistence that the risen body of Jesus was recognisable by his shocking open wounds. Early speculation as in the book of Daniel, about what the glorious bodies we will be given in the new age would look like, suggested they will be blaze with light. And if the stories of the resurrection appearances were pure fiction, this is surely how the risen Jesus would have been depicted. Instead, it is as the crucified victim that he appears, and he shows them his hands and his side. This is profoundly significant. By choosing to raise from the dead the crucified victim, framed by compromised religious leadership and tortured to death by raw military power, God identifies with him, sets his seal on him, validates and confirms how Jesus acted and spoke 
as true and authentic a revelation of divine power as the world would ever see. In particular, God identifies with the unswerving integrity of Jesus' non-violent love, which would not compromise to save his own skin, and would not even break faith with his torturers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Holy One is revealed not as the God of the big battalions, or the national religious hierarchy, but as the God who sides with the powerless and the victimized of the world. St. Paul brazenly refers to God's apparent stupidity and weakness in identifying with the losers who end up on death row, rather than validating the powers that be and their overriding concern for law, order and the status quo. As he writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks demand wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. So when we speak of Jesus' resurrection as giving us a rebirth into hope, we are saying that to join God who is now revealed as non-violent and self-giving love, is to gain a new identity in sharp contrast with the identity preferred by a world that pins its hopes on power, wealth, privilege and force. We are given hope in the power of suffering love, which the resurrection of Jesus proclaims to be ultimately undefeatable because it springs from the heart of the Creator. That heart, revealed on the cross, is where our hope is anchored. Very soon afterwards, the early followers of Jesus were praying to him. And we know the earliest Christian prayer, preserved in their native language, Aramaic, from New Testament writings and a very early manual called the Didache. That prayer is Marana Tha, our Lord come. This earliest of prayers speaks volumes, as we say. It shows that what made Jesus different from other dead martyrs is that through the resurrection, he was united to God and shared uniquely God's accessibility to us through prayer. It wasn't sacrilegious to pray to him because he was totally one with God. And the urgent prayer, come, tells us that for the witnesses of the resurrection, Jesus was no longer confined to the past as a leader dead and gone. Jesus was the Lord of God's future, 
the son of the God who is to come. Our relationship with him is not loyalty to a hero from yesterday, but faithfulness to him as the Lord of today and tomorrow. Christ comes to us in prayer and worship, not as a visitant from the past, but as a pioneer of the future. Christ is the saviour of what is coming next and recruits us to meet him where he goes before us, there to join him in shaping it as God yearns to shape it. The Spirit's gift of hope is identical to trust in the Christ who comes to us from God's future into the situation in which we actually find ourselves here in the USA in 2020. Please join me next week for the fourth podcast titled In Hope We Were Saved, in which we will explore the teaching of Paul about hope. Thank you for listening to the Faith in Maine podcast, brought to you by the Episcopal Diocese of Maine.